0: Saratoga is here, and there's no better way to play than NairaBets. New customers to NairaBets are eligible for a $200 deposit match bonus when they use the promo code Rewind. Terms and conditions do apply. Just go to NairaBets.com to sign up or use the NairaBets app. We've got some more great news from the In the Money Media. The In the Money Media Network is excited to partner with betmakers and bring you the Betmakers Bonanza. This is a $1 million bonus for any horse that can win this weekend's Haskell, Kentucky Derby, and Breeders' Cup Classic. Betmakers is one of the world's leading horse racing distribution companies. They collect data from racetracks and provide international bookmakers with the tools they need to bet on racing, with fixed odds betting a major focus. Betmakers are in partnership with Monmouth Park Racetrack to bring fixed odds betting into New Jersey, which is eminent and will hopefully have more news on them in the coming days. BetMakers is committed to being a partner of the U.S. racing industry, not only through the returns that will come from fixed odds wagering, but also through innovations with our partners, starting with the BetMakers Bonanza. And now let's get started with this week's Redboard Rewind. Welcome to episode 43 of Redboard Rewind. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest is Chris Larmy. Me and Chris go over some races today from last Saturday at Keeneland Racetrack, and some angles we go over are... How in wide open races, tossing favorites can add a ton of equity to your horizontal wagers. And we also talk about some live bankroll contest strategy as Chris finished second in the Key One contest over the weekend. This is Red Board Rewind. It's the same old- And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest for this week, Chris Larmy. Chris, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Spencer? Um, Thanks for inviting me on the show. It it was funny. uh, People were like, you know, who are you going to have on the show this week, knowing it was Keeneland, and six people were like, why don't you have Chris on? He did pretty well in the contest. I'm like, way ahead of you guys. I already got it locked down. (laughs) Well, thanks. Yeah,
1: it was a fun
0: weekend for me. It's
1: always fun to get good results when you play races in particular. It's nice when you do it in a contest setting, especially in a contest, you know, as big as the Keeneland contest for me, it's probably my favorite. And maybe even the biggest contest outside the Breeders cup betting challenge for, you know, bankroll contest. It always attracts the best players. It always has you know, great racing from Keeneland. Typically I'm at Keeneland playing in the contest, which is always more fun. You get to see everybody and just, you know, spend time at a great racetrack. But I was just really happy, you know, that Jim Goodman and Keeneland decided to try to put together a contest online even though players couldn't attend. You know, I certainly benefited from that and I think you know, over two hundred players entered so the players were happy about it too. You know, Jim Goodman's just such a, a great guy for the players at Keeneland and he's put on some of the best contests and even in these crazy times. You know, he pulled it off again. So I want to thank Jim and Keenland for that. And I think, like I said, the other players who participated, you know, maybe some with better results than others, everybody just appreciated the chance to, to, to play in a contest. There's just not that many opportunities right now. So that was great.
0: Now, having to play from home, obviously, I don't know, if you mostly play the tournaments at the track or if you're used to playing them from home, was there a big difference with this for having to play from home with this one? Well, uh, yeah, I typically for a contest
1: like this, uh, I don't think they've ever offered it online for the Keeneland contest. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty new development that just in the last year or two, some of the contests, Naira started it last year. I think Santa Anita was the first to do it, where they offer these hybrid contests where you can either play at the track or online. Um, but typically I had you know would be at the track at, you know particularly for this question this contest um i think it's actually easier from just being focused on the contest um because you you know you can sit there and and you know with fewer distractions and be able to you know construct your wagers and stuff without having to go to a teller and things like that or machine so um, you know, I think in some ways it was better, although my grandsons were over here and, and they, they did provide a different kind of distraction I probably wouldn't <laughs> have at the track. Um, so, you know, I, I would have much preferred to have been at Keeneland just because Keeneland's one of my favorite places to be. <laughs> but uh, absent that, I'm, I thought it was fine you know, doing it from home. Uh, and, you know, it, I don't know if it really made that much difference, but it was different.
0: I, I know for someone like me, like sometimes my ADD will just kick in really bad when I'm at the, at the house when I'm trying to handicap. Even though I have my own office, I'm just kind of like, oh, my phone's blowing up. Let's see what's on YouTube compared to like when I'm at the track, when I work for the bet squad at Saratoga. I would just be very zeroed in and just very like any questions people had, I would have known the card pretty well. It's For me, sometimes handicapping from home is just a little bit more difficult when I'm at the track. I can really zero in. Let's talk a little bit about your process and how uh, – how you started as a handicapper and, you know, what you kind of do from race to race. Well, I actually got started handicapping races when I was at the university of
1: Arizona, my son, my son, my, my brother uh, got involved in racing. I won't go into how he got involved, but he ended up in the racetrack industry program at the university of Arizona. Mm -hmm. I was in a math program there. um, but he, he, you know, got involved in racing. He had his friends from the racetrack industry program from all over the country, actually all over the world. They were all passionate about racing. I started hanging out with them. I went to the track. Um, really liked the betting, handicapping angle. I'm a, a math guy, and, you know, just really appealed to me all how you could apply the numbers. And this was back way before the Internet and stuff like that. I'm mm-hmm. kind of an old guy. And, um So, you know, I started playing around with the numbers and just really got into it. Um, And that kind of got me started down the path. Uh, I just, I really liked it. It, I just saw it as this really challenging um, uh, game where you had to compete against everybody else who was trying to do the same thing. And that's basically trying, I'm trying to predict the future better than they, they do. And you, know, you can make a profit on that as well. So that was really appealing. And, and I just have continued to try to get better at that every year. Um, it's changed quite a bit from when I started. And I've changed quite a bit um, in the way I approach things because I think you need to continually improve, continually evolve because the game is changing. And it will leave you in the dust if you don't change along with it. I mean, it's, change is not mandatory But
0: either is survival. So if you want to survive, you have to change. What do you think is the biggest change you've made in your game from back then to now?
1: Well, back then I was really focused on trying to create, understand pace and speed in a real kind of quantitative way. Mm -hmm. And again, this was before you had speed figures and pace figures and stuff um, available publicly. So that was kind of my main focus was trying to to come up with a good assessment of pace and speed because by doing that you had an edge just in and of itself because everybody else didn't have access to that. Now everybody has access to that, so you have to, you know, go way beyond that and look at, you know, try to uncover value in a little more subtle ways and so you know that's continued to evolve over time, but at First, I was really focused on on speed, you know, how fast they could run with final times and then pace, you know, how they got there. And, and I really focused initially, my favorite races were like dirt sprints, especially back then riders used mm-hmm. to send pretty much every horse in every race and sprints. And um, so pace was really a, a powerful tool because most races were honestly run and you could really get a good assessment of you know what's in the gas tank for this horse and how it will respond to a faster or slower pace. Today it's just there's so much more tactical riding going on even in dirt sprints that um even if you have a handle on that it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate into
0: success in the race. So and that's probably the the biggest change. For me there's always something about, you know, horses just throwing it down 21 and 43 compared to people who I know, like, you know, the longer, you know, the classic distances or, you know, just the dirt, you know, prep races for the Derby, just watching horses like, you know, Imperial Hint and those type of guys just really, you know, break it down. Is this something that I truly have always loved about the sport?
1: Yeah. I mean, it really is. The, The speed aspect of it is very fun and attractive and, It it just seems to have gotten devalued, especially, I call it sort of the Chad Brown effect. I think he's had a big impact on this.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, You know, just this, you know, sit, 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 finish kind of mentality that you have to uh, apply, you know, to every horse in every race. That really makes sense in some settings, but it just seems like it's bled over into, you know, even dirt racing and Mm -hmm. dirt sprints, especially in New York. You just never know what the riders are gonna do out of the gate anymore. Um where back when I first started, you know, it was a really valuable asset to be a good gate rider. I mean like a guy like Pat Valenzuela was just he was incredible. His horses always seemed to outbreak the field. And um that was really powerful attribute back then, but today I don't think you know it would get him any extra
0: mounts. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Do you think someone like Kendrick Carmouche would be like the modern day version of that?
1: Well, I would, no, I wouldn't say he's, I wouldn't put him in a Pat Valenzuela's league in terms of breaking horses, but his mentality of sending horses, he would just have been an average jock back mm-hmm. in the day. <laughs> I mean, that's how most riders rode, at least rode, you know, I'm talking about Dirt Sprint's yeah, and so I, you know, now I don't dirt sprints. I like to watch the horses, but from a betting standpoint, you know, I'd ma- rather play a, a maiden claiming route on the turf than a a dirt sprint stakes race, typically. So, the, the maiden... like I said, be partly because everybody knows
0: how fast the horses are and what you yeah. know what pace they
1: can handle. So,
0: um, for me too, it's just now I know that you're someone who you know is always looking for value and stuff like that people always talk about, oh, I just want to find the winner in this race, even if it's two to five. I was talking about this with Andy last week. Why do you think so many people are just so fixated with picking the winner and not trying to, you know, find that six to one shot that people have to realize you're going to lose maybe eight races, but if you hit win with two of them, you're going to make money in the long run. Why are people so fixated on winning every race?
1: Well, it makes a lot of sense, and I mean – there's all kinds of reasons, but, you know, I'll just touch on a couple. I mean, we could talk about this for hours, but, I mean, the main one is the the best part about this game that attracts at least me and most horse players is trying to make a prediction, you know, backing your prediction up with a bet and then being mm-hmm. correct, being right. I mean, that's, that's the rush that you get you know, I was right. And so people want to be right. And they like, they would like to be right more often than wrong. Um, so it makes sense that you want to pick winners and you want to bet and cash. Um, you know, it makes perfect sense. It's just natural. Um, also people, you know, you want, you want immediate satisfaction. You're not, it's really hard to have the self-discipline to think long-term profits. You want to make money on the next race. Yeah. You want to, go home with, you know, money in your pocket today. It's just really hard to step back and try to look at things from a long-term perspective. Again, that's really natural. These are things that, you know, people struggle with in everything, not just horse playing. So it's perfectly natural to want to pick winners, to want to get immediate satisfaction, you know, and it takes self-discipline and a better understanding of, you know, what your goals and objectives are to really step back and focus on making a long-term profit. And that isn't the goal and objective for everybody in the game. In fact, I would say the majority of players are more interested in cashing the next race or just, you know, breaking even on the day or just having Mm -hmm. a good time and going home with some money left in your pocket for the, you know, the next weekend. So, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, we're not everything in life is not trying to make a profit um you know even people in you know gambling i see on twitter who who really um sort of chastise others for the way they approach the game you know they're spending money on what might be season football tickets that aren't positive eb yeah. from a financial standpoint but they get enjoyment from it you know that's where they want to spend their entertainment dollars so it's not you know, bad that there's people in the game who are in it for fun and just want to have enough um, reinforcement that um, it's fun and they keep coming back. And if there weren't people like that, people who are trying to make a long-term profit wouldn't be able to do it because there would be no liquidity in the pools to extract the profit from. So I don't think it's a bad thing, but I do think if your goal is to make a long-term profit, you have to overcome those tendencies and that's just part of the challenge of the game and another reason why it just makes it you know that much more fun especially if um you know you're someone who likes a challenge that's just part of the challenge
0: F- for me too and this this might be like an, a little Napoleon complex because I've always been a smaller bankroll player but you always see these people who you know they hit the big pick five for you know five or ten thousand dollars and then they're crapping on these other people in Twitter who you know Maybe they played two doubles and made a hundred bucks for the day, but like that's almost like you know maybe even doubling, or it's a, well, their best day in the last two months of betting. And these people are just like, oh, all you made is a hundred. Look at my look at my big you know five k you know splashing dollar bills everywhere. It's just every single person, whether it's a two dollar win bet or a hundred, that stuff doesn't matter. All that matters when, down to the very last dollar is ROI. If somebody with a smaller bankroll has a better day than the bigger bankroll player, I mean we know who had the better day.
1: Right. There's a lot of ways to measure success. Again, if you're trying to make money long-term, ROI is not – it's important. I mean, if without a positive ROI, you can't make money Mm long-term. But in order to really make money, you have to churn your bankroll as well. So that's where you have to sort of balance risk and reward – and it might not necessarily be the highest ROI approach is the most profitable in terms of actual money you can make over time. Because you make money by betting money. And the, to uh, bet enough money with a reasonable amount of risk to churn a profit, um, you've got to be careful. I mean, you could say, theoretically, you should just wait for the best bet of your life and bet everything you've ever made in your entire life on that one bet that's your highest expected roi right yeah but you go your whole life without cashing a bet until that day so and and then you know that would be the only bet you make your entire life so i mean you have to think beyond just roi roi is a great measure of whether or not you have the potential to make money long term but just focusing on our roi isn't necessarily the best way to make the most money if you're really trying to profit over time for I don't me, know if that made any
0: sense at all, <laughs> it <might> just, <laughs> it, but uh, it, it's complicated. I mean, the game in general is complicated. I always tell people on the Beth Squad, I'm like, look at it it's this way. It's, you're going through nine puzzles every day, and every time you're done with the first puzzle, your little sister or brother comes in, swipes the puzzle away, and you have to restart with a new puzzle. Like, And certain people like finding a specialty. Are they good in, Are you good on the turf or the dirt, going shorter, going longer? And I always tell people, if, if you do keep track of your stats, which most people don't, but if you do, and you see that you're doing much better in routes than sprints, why are you betting the same amount of money in sprints and routes when you should be, you know, maybe double, triple the money in the routes and barely betting it all in the sprint races until you can find that you're getting becoming a positive player?
1: Right, and that's a really good point. I mean, you this is a game where you can pick your game. You can pick choosing your spots, mm-hmm. and you don't have to be perfect. You don't even have to be that great you just have to be better than the other people that are trying to predict that race and you only have to be better in certain some races right and you can figure out which of those races you're better at and focus on those absolutely what you can do and that makes a lot of sense i mean anything in life you want to try to understand where your strengths and weaknesses are and you want to try to leverage the strengths And either, you know, improve where you're weak or or hide those weaknesses or avoid those things, um, depending on the situation. But, yeah, definitely that's a tool in the toolbox that if you don't apply that, you're just leaving, you know, you're you're leaking money um, if you're trying to make a long-term profit.
0: We've got three really good races to go over today. Let's jump into those right now. The first race was Keeneland's sixth race from Saturday. It was a Grade 2 Shaker Town going five and a half on the turf these are the type of races I love—big, full fields—and it seemed like almost any horse could win this type of race. Where'd you end up going in here, Chris?
1: Well, this was a really interesting race. I—I'm going to make a plug for our Sport of Kings podcast, Scott Absolutely. Carson and I do on a weekly basis. Um, the reason I mentioned that is in this race, I said here was the one race where you really have to spread in the pick—the All-Stakes Pick Five they had at Keeneland Saturday because you really could make a, a reasonable case for just about every horse in the race. And because it was so wide open, I actually didn't even play this race in the contest. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a, a handicapping standpoint, the two horses I, I touted on our podcast were the 12-horse Carews, who I I thought was sort of a crazy long shot that, I felt like based on the way he ran as a two-year-old, he might jump way up in his second race after a layoff. I didn't know if he'd be good enough to win this, but I thought there was a chance he could. And then I also really liked a 10-horse totally boss who just lost all chance in his last couple starts, and he had been really good last summer. He got really good, and Rusty Arnold does well at Keeneland. So those were the two that I sort of touted on the pod, but I thought this was wide open and you know i i played the pick six actually hit the pick six at keeneland on um, that i had a pretty good day last saturday and i this is the race where i spread i was really tight in the other races but you know i had i think eight horses i think i ended up playing yeah seven or eight horses in here in in the pick six so i saw it as a really wide open race but i do like these turf sprints and i typically do well um this is this is the kind of a race where I I thought when I um, looked at the card, this would be one I'd definitely be playing in the contest, but it was just so wide open. Um, I wasn't sure You know exactly. I couldn't come up with a great way to play it with confidence. There were so many horses that could mess you up in this one. Um, that was kind of the way I saw it.
0: Now, knowing that you wanted to spread horses like Wildman Jack, uh, for me a big negative is the surf horses shipping from west to east it's kind of the opposite on dirt i like the west coast horses more on the east coast horses on the dirt uh seeing this horse at five to two in the morning line kind of made me start licking my lips and then i saw you know a horse like bound for nowhere also shipping uh west coast to east coast but had that east coast experience earlier on in the career what did you kind of do with a horse like wildman jack was it a horse that you would add on even though you were six deep or were you just avoiding and tossing completely
1: well, if I were playing verticals, I would have totally tossed him mm-hmm. for sure. I didn't like him that much, but yeah, you know, I for I agree with you on the west to east for the, the turf routers to some extent. But in sprinters, you know, the west coast sprinters on even on the turf can and run pretty well. So I I didn't downgrade him on that reg- in that regard. But I just didn't think he was that good. I thought he was kind of overrated. His paper was better than the horse, but I actually did, I think, include him on I spread pretty deep, and I just didn't want to lose it if he came in. I didn't think he was going to be 5-2. to two. I don't remember what his post-time odds were. Um, I thought that was probably a little low that he wouldn't, especially running at Keeneland, that he was going to go off at 5-2, to two. and I just didn't want to lose because of that horse outside. I was being... Because I played the other legs really tight, Mm. I think I didn't go... I think I either had a single or one or two horses in every other leg. Um, I was willing... This is the race where I thought anything could happen. I didn't want to get too cute you know, and try to toss somebody out of this field. Now, if I had hadn't been so tight in the other legs, he would be one that I would have have tossed out um, for sure. But I just wasn't trying to get real cute here. One of the things I try to do when I play the horizontals is I try not to get too cute um, when you're in a spread race because the fact is a spread race says you don't have much confidence in uh-huh. your opinions and it's probably wide open. And in a typical horse race, there's, you know, not that much difference between, you know, the better horses, the more likely and less likely winners. So I, I like to think of it as you're trying to like overcome one race at a time. And if it's a race, it's a spread, you ought to just kind of uh spread on that one and just focus your opinions on the other legs so i try not to get too cute in that case because i've been burned many times you know taking out a a one or two horses and bam that's
0: the one for sure that's going to win the race for me when i look at like my handicapping style i tend to think i'm more like jk where i'm a little bit more on the chalkier side so in this race when i kind of stepped out and i went with uh, the 50 to one shot just might Everyone was like, what do you possibly like about this horse? And it's kind of just the fact that, like we said, if you're going to spread in this race, you have to go six or seven deep. This horse has numbers that fit real well with this group, and the horse is going to be a bajillion to one. And why, if you're going to play a horse like Wildman Jack, can you not also put this horse in on your ticket? I just, the, to me, it was all about the value, and I was playing in the Daily Gallop head-to-head tournament for free, and uh, my matchup this week was against... Uh, Marshall Sterling, grade one handicapper, and he had really liked uh, Leinster. He had a stat for Rusty that uh, four for eight in turf sprints second off the layoff, which was very strong. And he had already won with this type of horse in the Troy either a year ago or two years ago at Saratoga. And that horse definitely uh, was a nice, juicy price on the board at 10 to one. Was Leinster horse you had also included in your pick six ticket?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, he was Definitely. I I mean, there wasn't much separating him and Totally Boss. Mm -hmm. I thought Totally Boss might be a better price because his last two trips had been so bad, you know, but and Lanester had finished ahead of him um, in the prior race, but it turned out, I think, it was the other way around. So, yeah, no doubt, for all the same reasons I like Totally Boss, except for I thought Lanester had a a really nice trip, but you're right, that second off a layoff, Russ Jarrow was a lot better, plus he's just good at, at Keeneland, so... He was absolute must include was Lingster. I mean, after Totally Boss and Caruse, he was my next. He'd been the next horse I would have um, chosen. I mean, I didn't have a
0: lot separating those horses. So you had you had no tournament plays in this race, and you were alive in the pick six. Did you do anything else in this race from a betting standpoint? No, like I said, to me
1: this was kind of the chaos race. All I was hoping was that I could catch a price. Because if I didn't catch a price here, I was worried about what the pick six was going to pay. Mm-hmm. The only reason I played the pick six normally, I would play the play the pick five, but um, there was a carryover, and it's an old-fashioned pick six. It's not the the um, jackpot thing, and it's a one dollar minimum instead of twenty cents. So I really liked. I thought I'm getting lower takeout on the pick six than I will on the pick five. It's all stakes, and I really liked the horse in the first leg. I thought that was probably my best chance to make money on the sequence was in that first leg. I think it's the the um, the um fourth race I liked Enola Gay. That was mm-hmm. another horse that I, I said on, the, on our podcast that I thought was really good. I thought Alms' last race wasn't very impressive, and I thought Enola Gay had a lot of upside in the fact that they started her in a, Stakes race, um, right off the bench, should McGahee was a really positive sign, and, and so I just singled her and played the pick six, figuring it could pay a lot more than pick five by beating Alms in that first leg, so that was kind of where I was going. So I really, and after that, though, I was afraid it could really chalk out, so this, this sixth race is where I was hoping I'd catch a price, and
0: so that was kind of my thinking on that. For me, it was just might at 50 to 1. Let's see if Chris can keep the pick six going, if I can get lucky with a
2: bomb right here in the sixth at Keeland right now. And they're off in the Shaker Town. Bound for Nowhere and Tiger Blood, Just Might, Leinster. Those four come right out to the front. Carews away running in fifth. Texas Wedge between horses in sixth. Fast Boat is away running in seventh. Real News had to check down toward the inside in the eighth position. Then Totally Boss is in ninth. Shared Legacy was off a step slowly and is now in tenth. Tell Your Daddy is 11th. Extravagant Kid is 12th. Wild Man Jack 13 and last, midway on the far turn, it was 21.16 seconds, the time for the opening quarter, bound for nowhere and Tiger Blood, 1-2 off the turn separated by just a Neck, just might, third toward the inside, looks for some running room, real news, behind horses is in fourth, Texas wedge and then Leinster on the outside, trying to get going and here comes Leinster chasing after bound for nowhere, bound for nowhere and Leinster, totally boss, is running late center of the course, bound for nowhere, short lead Leinster is right there, then totally boss, Leinster has struck the lead late totally boss is running on bound for nowhere is there at the line photo for the win of the shaker town that's close either linster or totally boss
0: and the number 13 Leinster, gets it done paying twenty two forty with with 103 buyer rusty arnold goes one two with totally boss coming in second well there's your bomb chris nice pick
1: well yeah i won't take credit's pick i mean but it it was a good result because I, I mean, the only pick I made, it was really, it's a spread race, and then you're hoping that you can catch a price. Um, so, yeah, I was happy about that. I was mainly just cheering against, you know, Bound for Nowhere, the eight horse, and Wideman, Wildman Jack, although he got left at the gate, so mm-hmm. I didn't have to really worry about him. But it looked like Bound for Nowhere might win it there for a little while, and I was cheering against him. I didn't really care who won it. I just didn't
0: want a favorite to win that race. It it was funny, uh, Vinny and a couple of my friends, they said they were watching the race. I was unfortunately at work, but they said that uh, just might had a nice little trip on the rail in the pocket. And then I guess he got shut off by Bound for Nowhere and ended up falling off the board. But they were like, if this guy picks a 50-to-1 shot off the top of his head and wins this race, they were all going to lose their mind because pretty much if you pick a nice solid, even though Marshall had Leanster who ended up winning the race, but if I had picked a 50-to-1 shot, that usually just crushes someone in these head-to-heads because so, we're doing a win place show, not just win place as well.
1: Yeah, that's not fair. If you can hit a fifty to one <laughs> shot in a head to head, yeah.
0: yeah. That. <laughs> uh, thoughts on Rusty running one two? Like you said, Totally Boss, Leanster. They they were almost like comparable to the fact that if you liked one, you had to like the other as well.
1: Yeah, they had been running the thing. I reason I like Totally Boss better. They had been running against each other several times, and every time Totally Boss was that down well below linkster Mm -hmm. so even though on paper you kind of think linkster has better has had better results but you know even in the breeders cup he was lower odds um they had run against each other prior to that last year he was lower odds they ran against each other in their first start this year he was lower odds plus he had had all the bad trips i thought maybe this time he'll go off at a higher price um and win but yeah you couldn't Play one without the other in this race, I don't think. And I thought it might be a dead heat for a little bit, yeah. Um, which would have been interesting.
0: So, any other horses in here you thought they got rough trips that maybe might be one that you could bet back in the future?
1: Uh, no, although I, I, my the uh, cruise the horse I told you it was a mm-hmm. crazy long shot actually ran a pretty good race. He had a little bit of a wide trip, but he was making a move with a leanster. He just couldn't quite keep up with him at mid stretch they were very close he was just right behind Leinster and then he kind of got a a little tired at the end but i'm sure that was the best race of his life from a speed figure standpoint and i do think that horse is capable of running a winning race at some point and i, I think he was about 50 to 1 he was uh, at post
0: time so 98 to 1 so, so double that. that. Horse,
1: <laughs> 98 to 1 so i mean he On paper, he looked completely overmatched, but for five, you know, he only got beat a couple lengths. That's quite a bit in a turf sprint. But I mean, uh, he he was right in the mix. So you know, that I'm not going to give up on that horse. Um, I think you know he'll still be interesting going forward, depending on where they spot him. He could go a little longer, possibly, but I hope they keep him in turf sprints. Um, But that's the only one. Uh, I'm not going to let go of that long shot um, yet. I'm not. I haven't given up on him.
0: It was the highest buyer. It was a 97. Then when you also look at the finishing positions, Leinster won by a head, then it's a neck, half a length, half a length, nose, neck, and then Carew's. So, I mean, lost by less than two or three lengths. It's just – that's what I love. I love seeing a big old fat eight in the the running line and then, like, lost by two quarters of a length. That's like – or three quarters of a length. It's like, cool. Everyone's going to look at that eight, not look at the lengths beaten – and that's the way you can get an overlay. Also, when people just skip over the running line like that, they're looking for ones, twos, and threes. As soon as they see the eight, they're not even looking at the lengths lost.
1: Yeah, and that was in a very salty field, second mm-hmm. off a layoff, off a long layoff for a lightly r- raced horse. So he has a license to improve off that, and any kind of improvement off that could win a lot
0: of races. I mean, this was a pretty good field, so let's jump into the next race. It was the ninth race at Kenyon, the race that everyone was there for. It was the grade two Toyota bluegrass, one and one eighth miles on the dirt. We have a Philly facing the boys Swiss skydiver as the morning line favorite. What were your thoughts on the favorite Chris and your thoughts overall on the race as well?
1: Well, this was going to be the key to my entire day because I really liked the three horse art collector. He was, a horse i just thought was an absolute standout in the race and for a lot of reasons but mainly i just thought his versatility he had won on turf he had won on dirt he had won sprinting he had won routing he had won on a sloppy track he had won on a race with a slow pace where he set the you know pace he'd come from behind behind hot paces he always finished So, you know, I just thought he was a standout. Uh, I thought Swiss Skydiver was dangerous, but I felt like, you know, with the one horse in the race, uh, she wasn't going to be able to get an easy lead and that art collector wasn't going to be far behind. And so I built my whole day, you know, I had him singled in my pick six. I built my whole contest around getting to this race. So... Um, and being able to, you know, just hammer this race and try to win it all all at once um, in this race. So, you know, I was all about Art Collector. I thought, you know, Swiss Skydiver was definitely the main threat. And then there were a few other long shots in here that I thought might, you know, be able, if Swiss Skydiver gets a little tired late, could maybe clunk up behind in second Uh, that was the five horse man in the can who ended up not running at all. And, uh, enforceable, the 12 and the 10 rushy. I think those are the ones that I used underneath him. Um, but I was all about art collector. My whole day was going to, you know, be built around if this horse was as good as I thought he was, if he wasn't, I was dead, but you know, that's the way it goes. And you want to, you want to try to leverage your strongest opinions I was hoping I would get maybe, you know, three to one or four to one. I think he ended up going off a little less than that, but I I wasn't going to let that deter me. I, I felt really strongly that this horse was, you know, the way way to go. He was the key to my card, so that's the way I played it. So let's talk about where you I had going. a lot of money on this horse. <laughs> I was basically all in yeah in the contest um, on this horse.
0: So let's talk about where you were at this point in the contest. You said you were going to go all in. Were you up so far for the day in the contest? I know you got to play those mandatories. If there are, I'm pretty sure there are mandatories in the go, in the Keeneland card, right?
1: Yeah. Um, so I can just real quickly what I did is I I really you know, I talked about Enola Gay and uh, mm-hmm. the horse in the first leg of the Pick Six. That was my first contest play, um, and I hit that race, and I, I hit her in some doubles in the next race. I had her with. Corana in the in a double. Mm-hmm. I missed the exacta over Alms. Got she got beat in the neck for second. But I had a My goal was to build some bankroll in that race. Uh, if I didn't, then I would. I was probably going to end up taking a shot at that turf sprint, which probably would have worked out all right anyway. But so I ended up passing that since I hit that race. And then uh, the other horse I liked quite a bit on the day was Juliet Foxtrot. And so I had a pretty big bet on her and her with Rushing Fall and I had a big double to Art Collector with Juliet Foxtrot. I was I had considered um, playing a double with Rushing Fall to Art Collector, but it was paying so little I just yeah. I and I liked Juliet Foxtrot so I just didn't even I just played it all on Juliet Foxtrot. So I lost um Good chunk of my bankroll on Juliet Foxtrot. If she had won, then I could have. Uh, would have been in better position going into the Art Collector race. So I did. I was hoping I'd have live doubles to hurt him and her, and that that would be worth a lot. Um, I had played a pretty big double, so I didn't have that. So what I did is I played a, a big exacta over Swiss Skydiver, and I played small exactas over the others, but I kind of weighted them in a way that. As long as Art Collector won and one of those finished second, I would do well. And then I played him into doubles, into uh, some horses I liked in the next race. I didn't like the favorite in the next race, and there were several long shots I thought um, really had a good chance to beat the favorite. So I played him into doubles um, with those horses, and we can talk about that race next. I think we're going to talk about that Mm -hmm. one, so I won't say anything about that one right now. But That's kind of how I played it. And what's nice, you had to get five bets in, but with the, the way um, some people like, you know, try to play show bets or something on races that they don't like, I try to use those, I try to pick my, my big opinion, like it was really art collector and secondary play, probably Juliet Foxtrot. I try to um, get some bankroll building bet early on, mm-hmm. so I have more to play on my strong opinion. And then I really like with the contests allow you to play doubles I like to play doubles into that race because then you get credit for another race bet when you're really just betting on your strongest opinion so that's a way a way you kind of leverage your strongest opinion and get two races bet for the you know the price of one kind of thing so rather than wasting a bet you can just use that double to um you know just strengthen your bet on your strongest opinion and get credit for playing two races. So that's a a nice little trick. If you haven't thought of that and you play these contests with minimums and there's one or two horses you like, well, if you play doubles into those horses, you've almost hit, you know, you have to say you have to play four or five races where you kind of cover your minimum plays and you're really just focused on one or two strong opinions. So, you know, that's a good little trick for getting those plays in these bankroll contests. Use that double Daily double to your advantage, um, and that's what I did here. It didn't pay off on the Juliet Foxtrot end, but it ended up. Um, I and you can always play doubles on the back end too, which I did um, as well.
0: We're gonna have to get Pete writing another book on contest play with you in the minimums chapter for sure. That's a great idea for people who are starting to get into these you know bankroll contests. That way you get end up with better. You know more races for your minimums, and you can really end up getting a nice uh, collection on your best bet of the day. This was such a weird race for me. I My first pass through, I said Art Collector, and then I started talking with some other people. You know, when you start talking with people, and they start like, you know, not like needling, but it's like, hey, like, I didn't think that Swiss Skydiver would be the favorite, and then people were saying how they thought Art Collector would take all the money, and I'm just like, well, maybe in a tournament play like being head-to-head, I want to jump off that horse, and I started looking back and again. And the horse I ended up landing on was Basin. I just thought that if you look at his last three races, yes, he lost to Mr. Big News 2-back, but the other two races were Charlatan and Nadal, who, if either of them were in this spot, they would be 1-9. to nine. They they, were, they were also pretty much were proverbial derby favorites. So I just thought, looking at the whole field, that if he was ever going to win a prep, this would be it against, you know, these type of weaker horses. Although, like I had said, Art Collector and Rushy, to me, kind of felt like the same two horses, that they were just in prime form. And I did like Rushy in the last race against Honor AP. I just didn't want to go back to him, and Basin ended up being a better price to begin with. What were your thoughts on Basin in this race? Just one that you just didn't think was good enough? No,
1: I thought, I mean, it, just a couple. I, first of all, Basin, I wouldn't have talked you out of playing that. All the reasons you said, I mean, he has been running against good horses. I think you he, he could give him some excuses in some of those races. It just seemed to me like I, I liked him more at the beginning of the year, but I I kind of started leaning towards he was more of like a precocious two-year-old uh-huh. that's probably not suited for the mile and eighth, mile and a quarter kind of race. But I don't think the the, ver- the jury was still out. And, and I, I wouldn't blame anybody for shop, shopping for a price in this race. If you, you know, didn't like Art Collector or Swiss Skydiver, I just really thought Art Collector was a, a really talented horse. It's interesting how you said about talking to people, because I really like, you know, our podcast that Scott and I do. We always have a guest, and or almost always have a guest, and it's just really fun to talk about the races, because they say things that make you think differently, and and overall, you know, it really does improve, you know, my my thought process for the races. In this race, though, we had David Aragona from from Naira and uh, Timeform US as our guest. And he was much more negative than our collector. And, we, and, and you know, he was, like you said, you know, you start second-guessing
2: yourself yeah. a little bit.
1: But um, because I really respect him, he's a, he's a really good handicapper. And he, he made some good points. But I just, I really just, sometimes, especially after you've been doing this for a while, certain horses just jump out at you and they just... You just have a higher level of confidence that they're going to run well than you typically do. It just gets this feeling it's it's a little bit of an intuition, and um you know he was just one of those horses. It doesn't always work out that way you know for you, but this is just one I felt like he was he was really going to run well, so I didn't let any of that deter me. Um, and I just felt like, you know, this is the kind of horse I don't mind, you know, letting it ride on. Um, so, and, and and I just sometimes you have to go with your in, your gut and your instinct. Um, so that's
0: what I did. Let's see if I can get Basin home in the Bluegrass, or if Chris can get Art Collector home as a single right now
2: in the Toyota Bluegrass Stakes. Chivalry out for the lead with Swiss Skydiver. These two come right to the front. Art Collector comes away running in third. Man in the can is fourth. Basin fifth up on the outside. Then Rushy is away. Running in sixth. Mr. Big News is seventh. Attachment rate to the rail in eighth. Hard lighting is ninth around the turn. Enforceable is tenth. Tiesto is eleventh. Finnick the fierce is twelfth. Hunt the front is last of 13. Back up front. Swiss skydiver outward from the rail. The Philly has the lead a half length up the backstretch now. Chivalry second. Art collector third. It was 23.25 seconds. The time for the opening quarter. Man in the can. is between horses is fourth, base in fifth on his outside. Rushy out in the center of the track in sixth, just over five lengths off the lead. Attachment rate moves up two positions from seventh into fifth against the rail, but will need more running room from there. Four lengths from the front, and then comes Mr. Big News. The opening half mile went in 46.61 seconds. Swiss, Skydiver to the outside, leads at a half length. Chevary second, Art Collector third. Rushy picks up the leaders in fourth, but has to angle wide, three lengths off the lead, two lengths off the lead, Swiss Skydiver leads an art collector just off her flank in second. Rushy third, still two lengths off the leader around the far turn. Then a gap of five back to chivalry. Fennec the Fierce tries to get going to the outside of attachment rate. They turn for home. Swiss Skydiver the leader. Art collector trying to reel her in from the outside. These two, side by side, coming to the eighth pole in the Toyota Bluegrass. Swiss Skydiver fighting on. Art Collector is right there. Art Collector ahead in front. A half length to the good, 16th pole. Art Collector, Brian Hernandez, Jr., to win the Toyota Bluegrass. What an effort from Swiss Skydiver to be second. It will be a multiple horse photo to separate third, fourth, and fifth one minute, 48.11 seconds.
0: And the number three art collector gets it done paying six sixty with a 103 buyer. Seems like Thomas Drury has a good one here, Chris.
1: Yeah, it's kind of nice. He seems like, I don't know him personally, but he seemed like a nice guy. He seemed like a guy who's put the time in, and, and now he has, you know, a big horse. So I, I wish him the best. I'm definitely a fan now after that race. It was one of those rare cases where... It kind of all unfolded exactly like you thought it would. Mm-hmm. You know, the riders cooperated, the horses cooperated. I was—I have to admit, I was a little nervous ahead of the lane. For a minute there, I thought Swiss Skydiver was really going to dig in and not let him go by. But then, you know, about eighth pole, I was pretty confident Art Collector was going to win this handily. And so it worked out.
0: Something interesting, too, with Art Collector, uh, I'm not trying to get off on a tangent here, but obviously it was previously trained by Joe Sharp, who if you're paying attention to the media, has had, like, 20 positives now by this year. And he goes to a a different barn, and you're thinking, oh, maybe he's going to, you know, backtrack. And instead, Tom goes out and gets the horse on back-to-back wins and has a legit derby contender now. I think he's fourth in the derby futures right now, if you want to go bet him. I think he's eight to one, which is somehow crazy to me. I don't know what, what you think, but when you see someone, like, you know, dropping out of, you know, a better barn or a barn, you know, like we've been having Jorge Navarro and service horses dropping out of their barns, what are your thoughts on those type of horses?
1: Well, I think I wouldn't group this one in with those yeah. because I think it was a, a different kind of uh, – I, I don't exactly know the whole story, but this sounds like one where they they were using a, a medication that they shouldn't have been, but I don't necessarily think it was performance enhancing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And so I think it was a little bit different uh, situation. Uh, I still think you have to just look at the horses. I mean, if a horse that comes out of Navarro or Service Barn was running pretty well before they got him, um, and then they, they had him and now somebody else has it, I don't think that means the horse can't run anymore. But I just think you have to kind of take it on a horse-by-horse basis. Um, but with our collector, I think it was kind of a different story. But it just shows you how much luck plays into these things. If it wasn't for that positive um brewery wouldn't have the horse if it, yeah. and it turns out if you read the story if it wasn't for this covid craziness he'd be in rusty arnold's barn mm-hmm. so you know maybe this is like the stars aligned for for this trainer and you know my, this might be his horse of a lifetime i don't think he's a you know an all-time great horse but i do think he's a legit contender to win the kentucky derby um so and you know he's very versatile he's bred to get the distance and like I said, you know he can handle any sort of pace, fast, slow. He can they can put him any, anywhere he needs to be in the race. So, you know definitely he's a handy horse that has a shot, and that has to get you pretty excited as a trainer or an owner or a jockey at this point of the year. Typically, it's past Derby time, but this year we know we're still two months away.
0: So, and it's coming quick. Listen, Saratoga is this Thursday. I still can't believe that. <laughs> Let's talk about the second yeah. place horse. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, the second place horse, Swiss Skydiver, is this a horse that you think that they're just going to keep going with, maybe possibly go on to the Derby, or do you think that they should just take the uh, what might be the way she's running now, an easy check in the Oaks? It seems like she's definitely one of the top contenders in that race, whereas for the Derby, I think she's still a little muddled when you put her up against those other horses.
1: Yeah, I think this kind of exposed her, going a mile and a quarter probably. Uh, I don't think she's going to get any easier trip in the Derby. So I would be surprised if they go that route, but I mean, it's not easy pickings in the three-year-old Phillies speech. Yeah. Ran an awesome race, uh, on the same card and you've got Swiss skydiver, you've got Gamine who's just completely freaked in her last start for Baffert. I mean, that Oaks is, is going to be a barn burner if they all make it there. Um, so, uh, you know, there's no easy path for Swiss skydiver, but, She's a nice filly. Nothing. She, you know, she ran it. She was game. She dug in when she was challenged. You know, she did not let um, Art Collector just breeze by her. He loomed up on her. I thought he was going to go right by, but she dug in there for about a sixteenth of a mile. So, I have a lot of respect for her. But that Philly, three-year-old Philly division, strong, strong division. So, um, that that the Oaks could be a great
0: race for sure. Any other horse in here you're looking forward to for their next prep, one that you might think could be a possible underneath horse if they make the, end up making the derby gate
1: um, probably of all the horses out of here that you know and for a derby horse, it might be i don't think win but could hit the board maybe it's a 12 enforceable. I didn't think it mm-hmm. ran too poorly um, you know it, it was coming off a, a layoff, drew a kind of a tough post. So, you know, it has good connections. So that horse, I think, is one that, you know, could hit the board in the Derby. But I wouldn't be looking to play it as a win bet going forward necessarily. Now, if it runs between now and the Derby, depending on where it ended up, I might be a little interested in that horse.
0: Sounds good. Let's jump into the last race of the pod, the 10th race at Keeneland. It was a swan song for the contest. It was an allowance N 2X, going 1 and 316th miles on the turf. This is the type of race, Chris, where everyone complains in Naira how they have the state-bred maiden claiming races, which I tend to actually love. And this race, to me, just gave me a really, really bad headache. And I just kind of broke one of my rules, and I said, okay, I'm just going to go Romantic Pursuit, highest last out buyer. And in a race where I wasn't sure, I just ended up taking the favorite, which is not always the best route to go. Where would you end up in here? Well,
1: there I had two the first thing that jumped out at me on this race was that there was absolutely nobody who wanted the lead. This was a completely paceless race. So I thought they, this is a race where if you can find somebody who they are likely to send to the front. That horse could be really, really dangerous. Um, and, and I didn't mind that it's a mile and three sixteenths on turf. If, if there's no pace and somebody seizes the lead, um, they're going to be dangerous. And I, Looking at it, I really thought the 10-horse speedy solution, even though the horse hadn't been on the lead, it had been closer to the lead than most. And if you looked at the time form U.S. pace projector, they had it projected as a lone speed horse. So when I I saw that, I checked and looked at that. I said, well, speedy solution, drawing the 10-hole, they're probably going to send that horse from that post, and it should have no problem getting the lead. I so I really like that horse and I did not like the favorite at all in here. I thought it was really weak and I didn't think especially um you know, I i it's a well bred horse and it at it, but its numbers just weren't that good, especially uh, in this pace race. So mm-hmm. I, I thought there's several others in here that could beat that horse. So I, I really like the ten. And I liked the four, seven, and nine as other horses that I thought could beat the three. So my whole approach here was in the, the pick six to play the four, seven, nine, and ten. And in, my, in the contest, I played doubles from art collector to the four, seven, nine, and ten, which were now live, fortunately. Um, and I had cashed uh, uh, pretty well. In, so now I was in a position to win the contest. Um, I didn't know. I didn't think I was going to get enough. I I figured um, at the beginning of the day I needed at least ten thousand to get in like the top six. Mm-hmm. At the, this was before the contest started, and I and so I was like at twelve thousand plus. If the doubles come in, I was going to be at like sixteen thousand in the contest. Um, I thought that would be chance to win it, but it turns out at going into the last race, I knew I probably needed closer to twenty thousand to win the contest. So I played Exactas, keyed with Speedy Solution, of the ten horse with the four, seven, and nine. If it came in, that would put me at about twenty thousand. So that's how I played the race, and you know, I so I was betting against Romantic Pursuit. Plus, if any of those four came in, I was going to hit the pick six. So I had a lot riding on on these horses, and my you know I was crossing my fingers that when they come out of the gate, they would send the ten horse. He would. Get an easy lead, slow it down, and then kick home. So that was kind of my hope. Uh, and so far, the day had worked out pretty well. So I was thinking, well, maybe this will be my day, and I'll have two straight races kind of un- unfold the way that you see they will in your mind. And that was kind of what I was hoping for.
0: When you first like when you're watching the first few races of the day, and you start to like hit right off the bat, you're like, well, this could be a special day, or this could be like a day where I'm just seeing the ball really well. Are you a big guy when it comes to Tomlinson numbers? When I was looking at speed, everyone was trying to like you know find out, because we had heard speed solution from a couple of people who really liked it. The only thing I could really come up with was that the 417 distance Tomlinson was the highest in the field. And when you're at this wonky distance of 1 316, sometimes that and having a pace advantage is all you need is a horse that's bred for the distance and will have a pace advantage as well.
1: No, I didn't look at the Tomlinson number at all. I, I was just more looking at the horse's past performances and anticipating the pace. Plus, if you look at a lot of his races, he had had some trouble. He was probably a little better than a paper look. But his last race was good, I thought. And, you know, I thought if he gets, you know, that lead and they slow it down uh, just off of his last race, he could easily win the race. I thought. I mean, it's a, it wasn't a stretch to see him win. It was on. It was on. Uh, you know, the scent at Turfway, mm-hmm. but that was a good race. And you know, from a number standpoint, that was as good as the favorite. And he was going to have a tactical advantage over the favorite. And he had run fine on turf in the past. So there's no reason why he couldn't handle the turf. So you know, just, there was a lot to like. I thought about that horse. Um, I thought he was a, a really good value play. Um, given the price and the way the race was likely to unfold. Now, if they hadn't sent him, you know, they'd just tucked him back and he'd park three wide, you know, in third or fourth, he probably would have lost. But my whole hope was that they wouldn't do that, that they would send him in a paceless race and he would get the lead and get to the rail and then they wouldn't catch him.
0: That was the hope. Let's see if a Speedy Solution can get out of the gate for Chris or if My Lazy Handicapping can get Romantic Pursuit home in the nightcap right now
2: there goes coco channel out for the lead from the inside with summer and saratoga here speedy solution on the extreme outside moving forward latest version going to be up close down toward the inside mighty scarlet toward the outside also has some early speed speedy solution though is moving by to take the advantage speedy solution leads it by a length and a half heading for the first turn mighty scarlet moves up to the far outside coco channel back toward the rail latest version between that pair and then further back, Gambling Train is fifth. Kuora is sixth. And one lane off the rail into the turn. Romantic Pursuit is in seventh. Summer in Saratoga shuffled back into eighth. Deltas Kingdom on the outside of that one ninth. Wildlife, tenth. And Joy of Treasure is 11th and last. 23.46 seconds for the opening quarter. Speedy Solution against the rail leads at three quarters of a length. Mighty Scarlet second, three quarters of a length. Latest Version third and neck. Coco Channel fourth back toward the inside. Then a gap of two more lengths back to Gambling Train in fifth. Kuora is sixth up on the outside, running six lengths off the lead. And then Romantic Pursuit. It was 46.77 seconds for the first half mile. Speedy Solution is the leader. And here's Coco Channel looking for room to the inside. Mighty Scarlet still there up on the outside. Has second by a neck to Coco Channel. Latest version goes fourth around the turn. Gambling Train fifth. Kuora is sixth up on the outside. Five lengths off the lead. Speedy Solution still the leader. Three quarters of a length. Mighty Scarlet second by two lengths. Latest version is third. Coco Channel is fourth. A quarter mile to come. Gambling Train is in fifth. Kuora sixth up on the outside. Romantic Pursuit is in seventh. Coming to the eighth pole. Speedy Solution. Mighty Scarlet chasing her. A length separate the top two. And then latest version, Delta's Kingdom running down the far outside but still far back. Summer in Saratoga runs late but far back toward the rail. Speedy Solution has the lead. Mighty Scarlet second. Here's Romantic Pursuit to third. But here comes the line. Speedy Solution in front. Speedy Solution to win at Mighty Scarlet second. And then Romantic Pursuit third. A multiple horse photo to separate fourth and fifth. One minute 53.01 seconds. A course record.
0: And the number 10 speed solution does go out and get on the lead, paying 26.40 with a 90 buyer. Nice way to end the day, Chris.
1: It was. I thought there was a a, a decent chance that I would win the contest. You never know though in these live bankroll contests. In the last race, you have people you know going all in, making crazy bets. Um, you know, even if they only have a hundred dollars left or a thousand dollars left, if they hit something, you know, they can blow right past you. So you know, I was just waiting for him to update the leaderboard, crossing my fingers, and uh, you know, it was a it was depending how you look at it, half empty, half full. The half full part was that I did finish second, but somebody did crush. Um, Stephen Thompson actually bet about a thousand dollars and made over forty thousand dollars on that one race to win the contest. So I was a distant second place which was still a really good result. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was great prizes, uh, but it was a little bit disappointing I didn't win. But, I mean, hats off to him. You know, he had, like, a one-in-a-thousand kind of play that uh, just uh, scored. I think he had to try in the exact uh, um, for some crazy amount and ended up with over $40,000, which, so he basically made more money in that one race than anybody had ever made in this contest in any past (laughs) year, you know, over the entire contest, so. Um, I thought, you know, I had a game plan, I executed it, I got, you know, had some great results and, you know, I just, it was like, you know, I played the hand as well as I could and just hats off to the the person who, who just did better. But I was real happy with, you know, the process and the result and, you know, it was a good day. I really enjoyed it. It was fun. And sometimes, uh, things work out. And the races actually go the way you think they will. And the key is you have to really cash in on those because (laughs) more often than not, that's not the way it works out. So uh, that's why you want to try to really leverage your your best opinions and and don't be tentative. You know, go for it uh, when you really like a horse um, and really, you know, look for the value. Don't just try to cash tickets if you really want to make money long term.
0: When and like you said, when you were looking at, it, you thought you you had the no- idea of a number that like you know maybe the last three or four winners have always made you know the twenty twenty five thousand mark. I know some people if they can't rank second they would be upset, but I mean it's kind of hard when the guy makes forty thousand dollars in the in one race, and it's a number that's double what anyone's ever made in the contest. And like you said, if they play the contest a hundred times, you might win it ninety nine out of a hundred. This was just the one time that the guy. Just hit that monster, monster try and exacta.
1: Yeah, and that happens. I mean, that's part of the game. And some people complain about that, but you know, I could have been on the other end of that. Mm-hmm. I could have been the guy with a thousand dollars that you know hits a a big try or exact and and jumps the top to the top of the leaderboard. You know, I've been in that and taken those swings before too. And occasionally, I've gotten lucky. So that's just the way it works. Um, I would much rather be in the position I was in. Uh, and play it the way I did um, than the other one, but I would, if the shoe was on the other foot, I would do exactly the same thing, and I would have been thrilled if I had, you know, gotten lucky and hit that um, play. You know, I I got lucky too uh, that Enola Gay race. If you watch that, that kind of started my day off. Uh, in mid stretch, I thought I would have uh, sold my ticket for ten cents on the dollar <laughs> if that horse was going to win the race, and then says he finally got her tipped into the clear and she just took off and somehow got up by the slimmest of noses to win, you know? So I thought I felt pretty lucky then. Um, as I, I, like I said, I didn't think I was going to win that. I mean, the only result I didn't get, um, was Juliet Juliet Foxtrot on it. Yeah. And, now, if she had won, then I might have been, as, you know, I still probably wouldn't have won the contest. I would have won some more money, but I don't think I would have been at 40000 So, So, um, yeah, you know, you just don't worry about that. You can only worry about what you control. And I like, I know Stephen Thompson. I I like him. I'm, I'm really happy that he won. Uh, you know, I like to share in other people's success. I'm not complaining. It, you know, it was a great day, and I had a lot of fun, and um, hats off on his play, um, but I'm really satisfied with the way I played it and with the result I got. So that's all you can ask for. I mean, heck, if you can't enjoy a day where I, I walk away with like $60,000 in -hmm. in cash and prizes, then you need to pick a different hobby.
0: Right. So let's, uh, let's talk about those prizes. Obviously you got the, the, uh, the money for finishing second. What prizes came along with coming in second?
1: Well, you, you win, you know. You get to keep your bankroll, which mm-hmm. is about was about twenty thousand dollars, and I get a twenty thousand dollar cash prize, and I get a ten thousand dollar C B C spot, and I get a, uh, an NHC seat, which you can't really price, but it's probably worth six to eight thousand mm-hmm. dollars, depending on things. And
0: I get to pick six. So,
1: so you're in all you know, the big a, dances and, when it
0: comes later of the year.
1: Yeah. Right. So that. So I. You know that. I am the chairman of the the NHC Players Committee, um, so I you know I've been a big fan of the NHC. And, you know I've been I've worked i been part of trying to help make it grow and make it better over the years, and so I you know I always want to get back to the NHC. That was my second NHC seat. I love the BCBC. I was at the first BCBC. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to actually want to travel to the British mm-hmm. Cup this year. I'm a little nervous about that, but I mean, I always love that contest. You know, that's the premier bankroll contest. So, yeah, it was a it was a nice prize pool. I mean, Keeneland puts on a great contest, and and the prize pool is kind of nice in that it's not super top heavy. The winner got forty thousand, so you know, the run, finishing second cost me twenty mm-hmm. thousand uh, dollars versus forty thousand dollars in the prize money. But the top six players all get an NHC spot and a BC, BC spot. It's great. And the top 10, I think, got an NHC spot. And then they gave a couple thousand dollars all the way down to like 15th or 20th place. So it's not this super heavy, top heavy prize pool like the BCBC. BC. And, you know, you finish in the top five or 10 and you get a pretty good prize. So, you know, that's another thing I like about the way they do it at Keeneland. Um, they don't make it too top heavy. Again, I want to thank Jim Goodman and Keeneland for putting the contest on.
0: That is going to be pretty much all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank my special guest, Chris Larmy, for coming on and spending a nice long hour with me. Where can people find you on social media, Chris?
1: Well, I'm on Twitter. My handle is Derby1592, Derby1592. And I'm pretty active on Twitter, usually on like Saturday after our sport of Kings podcast that we usually put out on Friday with Scott Carson, Scott and I will be out there kind of tweeting about the races we cover. Um, you know, like this week we covered the, the pick five, all stakes pick five at Keeneland. you know, next weekend, big weekend with Haskell. We'll be covering that. So Derby one, five, nine, two. And then our sport of Kings pod, you know, Scott Carson's putting together. I got to give this plug for Scott. Um, a new uh free contest website that um he's still working on but sportofkings.net so you can go out there and learn about that coming up that'll be something that I think will be fun for players free pp's free contests anybody who played publichandicapper.com in the past that was Scott's baby this is this is sort of the the next generation public handicapper contest site he's working on
0: sportofkings.net, so I want to give that a plug as well if sorry about that no, no you're fine <laughs> if uh if you're since you're already subscribed to if you're watching this podcast please go over and subscribe to sport of Kings podcast as well Chris thank you so much for your time I appreciate it again
1: thanks Spencer thank you for inviting me on the show I'd be happy to do it anytime hopefully um, I'll have another good day and you can invite me back on um, I
0: enjoyed it I enjoy
1: listening to your podcast as well.
0: Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much to all of our great fans for listening to this podcast and my special guest, Chris Laramie. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Fornatal, our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin, and our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. Nowhere to hide from our my-